Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of the Antler Up podcast. I'm Jeremy Dinsmore, and Dimitri and I have Chris Minarchek on this week's show. Chris is from right here in central Pennsylvania and is an avid fly fisherman and hunter. And in this episode, we talk to Chris about the gear needed to get into fly fishing, tips and tactics for the season and rookie fly fish fishermen, and different fly fishing styles, and much more. This is such a fun episode to record since Chris and Dimitri actually grew up together and to hear his passion for uh, getting out on the water was just awesome. I learned a ton and I believe any new aspiring fisherman can gain something from this episode. And speaking of fishing, uh, with it already starting here in Pennsylvania, uh, camping season is just right around the corner. Hopefully we'll be able to get back to our, our campgrounds here in, in the Pennsylvania. Um, but if you are looking to get outdoors during this crazy time, you know, please look out for uh, bigskyrent.com. There you will find premium camping, fishing, and hunting gear that you can rent for a fraction of the retail price. So instead of owning them, taking up all your space in your garage or in your wherever, your basement, uh, you're able to rent all your products for a wonderful price and then just ship it right back. So you get it shipped to you or to where you're heading uh, and then you'll, you'll be going out in that premium hunting, fishing, uh, or camping gear. So check out Big Sky has to offer on their website at bigskyrent.com and use code antlerup10 to save some money. And we talked about uh, last week a little bit about turkey season, uh, getting ready for that. And, you know, with me, I'm a diehard bow hunter. I'll be trying my gate, uh, my 20 gauge as well as going out with the bow. I'm excited for that. But I'll be using uh, the Sever 2.1 broadheads and as well as the Easton 6.5 uh, AccuCarbon arrows. So check those both out. Respectful websites. Uh, the broadheads are amazing. Uh, we ran them through a bunch of different deer. Amazing results. They fly perfect they cut a massive hole uh, and they're durable so check them out over at severbroadheads.com and check out our partners page for a link that'll go right there as well and if you're looking for a perfect time to set up a new uh, set of bowstrings on your bow, now's the time. And you could do that over at americasbestbowstrings.com. Check out the premium series with a two-year warranty. You could check out their premium with a one-year warranty. You get the design, whichever color you feel that you just want to rock on your bow. Uh, that's going to make it look sweet. You can get all matchy-matchy with it and have fun with it. Or you could just go plain and basic, and that's what, hey, okay. So, hey, Go ahead, check out the best bowstrings you could put on your bow over at americasbestbowstrings.com. And to continue on talking about, uh, I know in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about fly fishing. And it's a lot of the gear that I actually still wear when I go out on the water, uh, if I'm going for trout or even on the, on a boat for some bass. Um, but it, especially now for turkey season, I'm going through my first light bin and one of the most important pieces that for your hunting setup is a base layer. Uh, and that's why my early season in the fall and then even now in the spring, I wear my kiln crew uh, for, for during my turkey hunts. And this kill crew incorporates a re-engineered fit to your mid, new midweight 250 uh, Merino X fabric to create an essential tool for your kit. Uh, you know, this base layer allows you to be in the broadest range of temperatures and weather conditions. It's going to keep you dry. Uh, it's it's going to just, you know, take away the the odor as well, being in that wool. Uh, and it will, it will drive really, really fast if it does get wet. So check out what uh, base layer you want, you'll need over at firstlight.com. 
Again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's show uh, with Chris. And uh, it's fun to, to get local people on. And I love getting just to hear their passion for what they do for the outdoors. Uh, so thank you for listening. Until next time, Antler Up. Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast. And we are on episode 15. And we're going to talk to Chris Menarchek from central Pennsylvania about some fly fishing. Chris, thank you for uh, taking some time out of your evening to talk to us, man. Yeah, sure. No problem. Fishing season, time to get out. Absolutely. Well, you know, just what, two weeks ago, we're two weeks now live of, of uh, fishing here in Pennsylvania. They ended up making the season early on us, which is pretty awesome. So, um, Chris, you know, before we get into everything, you know, I, I know I've, I've met you through Dimitri. You guys are close friends and I love that you're local. Uh, but for our listeners, could you get into a little bit about yourself? You know, who you are, where you're coming from? Yeah. Uh, I grew up here in central PA. Uh, like you said, me and Dimitri grew up together, uh, constantly in the woods all the time, whether we're, we were out scouting or hunting or trying to film hunts even when we were younger. But, uh, graduated a couple years ago and I actually got a degree in wildlife technology. Uh, so that just drew me even closer to the, to the, to the woods and just being out and about like that. Like that's just where I'm most comfortable at. That's awesome. I know, um, you know, for me growing up fishing wise, it was always going out on the boat with my pap and my dad going bass fishing. Uh, so, and then as I got older and was able to get a little bit better maneuvering a, a rod around, uh, is when my dad finally took me on some, some creeks and some other stuff to try for some trout and stuff and never really had a good go of that other, other than being on the boat and catching some, some, uh, some largemouth bass, but, uh, you know, this is, um, I'm excited for this. You know, I love that we're going to be talking about some fly fishing because that's something, a new thing that I want to get into. I know Dimitri, you've picked this up over the last, like what, two years, I think, or even further than that. Yeah. I mean, I dabbled into it a little bit. I know Chris went to his camp a couple of times and, uh, he started getting me into it a little bit further. And then the last couple of years I just started, uh, learning a little bit more about it, but keep want to grow in that and, and fish it a little bit. Uh, you know, just doing so, uh, just like the challenges fly fishing brings, so want to learn a little bit more about it. Awesome. Well, Chris, you know, we, I want to, before you get into it a little bit more and you told us, you know, you're from central Pennsylvania, you have a really cool, unique story. I know that, you know, you talk, talked to me when we went out to the outdoor show together and, you know, you mentioned it too before with Dimitri, uh, you kind of have that nice little tradition when it comes to fly fishing and, you know, this, it goes deeper for you. So could you like talk a little bit about how you got into fly fishing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say for the most part that it was, it was my dad. But along with that, the, it was, you know, it goes back to my grandfather fly fishing and he would tie flies for all of my uncles each, each time we would go up to our camp. Our, we, have a, we have a camp up in Potter County on Kettle Creek, which is just north of central PA. And it's just amazing up there. You, you almost have no phone service and, and that's part of experience being up there you don't you don't have your phone there's no technology you're just out in the middle of nowhere it's very limited as far as who's living up there but 
you know, my grandfather, he would, he would tie five flies for each of the boys, five black ants. And he would hand them to him and he'd say, when you lose them or if they break off, you're done. So they really, they would really hoard all of their flies as, as much as they could, you know, and that, that helped them develop the skills that they have. But it, it's definitely been more of a family tradition, you know, with my uncles and all of my cousins going up to camp. Uh, like you had mentioned, Dimitri's been up there. It's, it's so nice and peaceful up there constantly. And it's just a, it's a great place to be. You know, and we, we always go up usually the, the night before uh, PA Trout opens, which would have been today if they didn't open it early like they did. And the night before, we always like pull out all of our gear. And we're looking at flies and we're tying flies at the kitchen table and, and we're passing, passing around trading flies. You know, like, I like that one. And he likes this one. Like, I'll swap you this one for that one. And uh, just to just to see what works and what doesn't work. And that's part of the excitement of, of fly fishing as well is that it is a science and there is technique. But part of it is just the mystery of it because not everything is going to work. And that, that's part of the fun of it is just figuring that out. Well, what I like too about that story is I'm sitting here like wishing I was actually there right now because like you were saying, it's that total disconnect of, you know, I don't want to say reality, but you're totally distancing yourself from from reality and where you're just out there concentrating on just what's in the moment could be in where your feet are catching some fish, you know, hanging with some family and friends. Uh, so that's amazing. And that's such a cool thing. And I know a lot of people, you know, you, that's the thing I love about the great outdoors is their individuals have stories when it comes to first day rifle hunting, bow hunting, when it comes to fishing, turkey season, you know, we're just right around the corner here and I'm looking to start some new traditions with that. So I love hearing, how much that means to you and your family. Now with kind of going off of that, how we were saying today actually would have been that opening day here. What has, you know, as has you guys been able to do, have you been able to do anything with your family or uh, started maybe something new and different for a, a normal tradition? Well, yes and no. Uh, only because you know, central PA right now has just been hammered with rain. And we keep getting fluctuation and temperatures and it keeps getting really cold and we've gotten some snow and we're still getting runoff from the mountains. And that's a big part of, of fly fishing. Like compared to, to bass fishing, which I know, I know a lot of people know by now, Dimitri's a pretty good bass fisherman himself. Uh, but trout, whenever it comes to water levels, water temperature, outside temperature, even the the sunlight, how bright it is out, like that all comes a factor whenever you're trout fishing. And so whenever you have high rivers and high creeks, the trout fishing just isn't as good or depending on water temperature. So those, these colder days definitely are not helping. But there's still some places that, that the creeks are a little bit lower that we can get out to. But we, we have been up to camp. We got, uh, we got, camp ready for the season so but i i know i think my dad was going up this weekend just to mow the grass but i don't even know if he got to do that because we got about what two three inches of snow last night 
Yeah, it's crazy. I know I'm, for myself even, I'm trying to make a video of some arrow building that I've done and I wanted to show kind of the next day of me shooting the arrows and that's been damn near impossible to do just because <laughs> yeah. it's either snowing or it's 30 degrees and winds uh, also 30 miles per hour. So it's like you can't, you can't win right now, whether you're uh, trying to sight in your bow for getting ready for turkey season or, you know, like you were saying, get on the rip on the water and catch some fish. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think what the cool thing is a lot of the local schools and, and universities are getting into fly fishing, offering clubs and, and classes. I know Penn State University actually has a fly fishing class that people can take and, and get into fly fishing, which is really opening the door for people to learn about this sport. Yeah, for sure. Like, Future, uh, I know you know about it, uh, but my, my cousin Mike, he started a fly fishing club and at Phillipsburg at the high school and a lot of people were kind of unsure of it at first and it really just blew up like I think it went from like five kids the first month and I think they have like well over 40 in the club right now that's awesome and they do they do everything from fly tying they take the kids out on trips and to catch trout and show them different techniques like that they have people come in um like uh I know a few years ago he had Joe Humphreys come over, who's from State College. He used to teach the fly fishing class at Penn State, and he is a world-renowned fly fisherman. If you want to know anything about fly fishing, Joe Humphreys is the man to know. And he's still at Pound in the Water today, and I think he's 85 or 86 years old. That's awesome. I know too, for my, like our school at state high there, uh, there's a lot of kids that are into fly fishing and actually there's one individual that I don't have him Cause I believe he's a he's a ninth grader cause my wife has him. He has his own YouTube channel that he's cranking out videos, doing some uh, fly fishing stuff. Uh, so I, I know too, he's starting an, uh, an angler club at state high. So that's something where before this whole, uh, shutting our schools down i was trying to get a hold of him to kind of bring his philosophy of fishing in and i was trying to start uh an outdoor club because we have one but it's more of like camping hiking all that type of stuff and not necessarily geared towards hunting or fishing so that was something where i wanted to bring in kind of combine both fields together in a sense but um yeah, I think like we're, we're living in the hotbed of central Pennsylvania. Everybody talks about how fly fishing here and, and Demetri, you talked about Penn State. I mean, I know because it's in the kinesiology building for my when I went back to school and got my degree. That's something where I would walk by it. I'm like, oh, man, that's so cool. And just find it, you know, really, really neat that they have that opportunity there. Yeah, it's, it's really great that they get so many kids interested in it. And just get them out and about and realize what what's out there. Right. You know, it's not all about just being in cities or moving to a big city or where everybody's at. You know, there's, there's just great things around us everywhere. Right. Well, Chris, you even mentioned too, just before, just because like I said, I'm getting new to it. I'm starting to learn the lingo and watching YouTube videos and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you mentioned about different techniques. You know, how did you learn the different techniques that go into fly fishing and, you know, for a new individual wanting to get into them, what are the different techniques? So whenever I really got interested in it and I was expressing to my dad that I wanted to get into it, he actually started me out and we were up at camp. We have a large field there in front of our camp, right, right, right before you get down to the creek. 
then he would tie a, a colored piece of yarn on the end of my line and then he would take five gallon bucket lids and just throw them out in the field you know not too far maybe five ten yards at a different lengths you know to my left and right and out in front of me and and he would tell me to cast at them to to get that feel you know just to be out there hitting targets so i mean i really relate it to archery a lot for that reason you know it's not like you're not going to pick this up in a day this is going it takes time it takes a lot of patience because it can be very frustrating especially if you're not catching fish the same with archery though you know i know you guys relate everything to archery as well as me it's going to take time it takes practice now i was out there hitting those targets as much as i can and you have to be willing to to learn you know you're not, like I said, you're not going to pick it up. There's no point in getting frustrated. You're just not going to pick it up right away. So I'd be out there just practicing and hitting those targets. And that's just how I really got started and wanting to do it. And I would hit those lids and then bring my line in. Then he would have me pull it out again and try and hit those lids again while he was instructing me, you know, keep your wrist here. Don't use just your wrist whenever you're casting. Your your arm is the engine, and your your wrist is the steering wheel. If you if you're just using your wrist, then you're gonna basically you're gonna use a whip. You'll hear a whip. You'll hear that little snap right at the end of your line, which is definitely something you don't want to do because you end up snapping your fly line like right off on top of the water, and then you're you're definitely not catching nothing. Which I think is a good point because a lot of us worry about being out in the stream and, and getting snagged in trees and, and trying to cast in small spaces. But you really, the practice, it's great that you don't actually need to be on the water to do those things to practice your technique. You get a little bit of open space in your yard and, like Chris said, put some targets out and you can practice that. That way you're ready for when you go to the stream and you can have some confidence before you get there. Yeah, and you don't, it's not always about reaching the other side of the creek. I know if you if you look up fly fishing or you look up casting, you just pull up an image. You're going to see, you know, this guy with this huge rod and it's got this huge line coming out of it. And it can be like very intimidating that you need all this space to go fly fishing. When that doesn't happen all the time, you don't need tons of space just to go fly fishing it's not always about getting that line out as long as you can and, and trying to reach the other side of the cliff for some reason yeah i think about even just my brother-in-law's kind of camp that he has uh out out past dubois and my little nephew he's always catching fish when we go up there and he's having a blast i'm um, thinking back to that now when i would bring mine and i'm like man like as you're saying that that width of that whole creek is about like 13 feet. You know what I mean? So it's not like yeah. you, you don't, again, I wouldn't even necessarily need to be like whipping the, the line as far back as possible and look like those images when you do that. Cause actually when you said that I, I did Google it and, and that's it. it. The first image that comes up yeah. is this guy with a huge line and it's like 90 feet behind him. It looks like. Yeah. And it can be very intimidating and we'll get into that more. I'm sure here in a little bit. But the only time you're doing that is whenever you have a, a dry fly on and, and you're trying to get that water off of that fly so it sticks up on the water. So 
that's the only time that you're really bringing it out and really working that line to try and dry that fly out so that it's set on top of the water. Other than that, you don't need to have all that line out and whipping it around and like getting it over your head and having so much distance out. You don't need to have all that line out and, and we're probably going to get into that as far as what flies to use and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit here. But you don't need to have all that line out and whipping it around unless you're using a dry fly and you're trying to get that water whisked away from that fly. So if you're using anything other than that, you don't need to have all that line out. Now, Chris, talk about some of the gear that we need to get into fly fishing for someone that's starting out. I know for, for you telling me a lot of the times when I was beginning, you can get very intimidated at the prices and, and then the gear really ranges from from cheap stuff to really, you can talk very expensive fly rods. And you would always tell me, you know, expensive is not always better, especially starting out. Can you kind of go through the gear that, you know, someone would need to, to start out? Yeah. Um, yeah, like I was saying before, I definitely got spoiled, like, whenever I started, only because I have so many uncles that were into it. So I really got, I really got the hand-me-downs. So anything anybody didn't want is basically what I started with. So that just goes back to the fact that you don't need top-of-the-line things to get started. Because when it comes to gear, just like any outdoor hobby, and you guys know this just as well as I do, a lot of that high-end gear can be very overwhelming. There's stuff everywhere. You don't know what you need. You don't know what works best to a friend. Talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. Talk to even like store owners. They're not going to lie to you. You know, if you say, I'm just getting started. I don't, I, I, I have a budget. What, what do I need to just get out there and, and get started? Uh, at the same time, a lot of outdoor stores have packages already set up. So you just would go in, ask them if they have any packages, and a lot of them will come with a rod, a reel, and your your tippet line for the end of your fly line, and that's what, that's what you'll tie your fly on at the end of your line, as well as like a handful of flies. You know, it might only be like five or ten flies, but that's that's all you need. As long as something's working, that's all you need. You don't need boxes and boxes of flies, which you're gonna acquire over time. That just comes with it. It's just like you know, you're starting out archery. Yet you start out you might have like six arrows. But over time, now you have, now I'm sure you both have boxes of arrows because that's just what you acquire over time without right. even realizing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So starting out with like a budget and telling somebody like, this is what I want to spend or I, I, mean, I don't want to spend over this, like really helps as, as far as what, what you're spending and, and what you want to use. I know I picked up the Orvis Encounter, which it comes in a package at a local, uh, at one of our local outdoor stores. I mean, it came with the reel and, and the fly line and the, the rod for, for 169 which is, I felt like it was a great price for someone just starting out. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a real, really good deal. But if you go online, like I said, and you do a little research, you can find fly rods that are very versatile that would work in this area and that are very inexpensive, you know, and 
using that stuff over and over, you'll, you'll develop on what you want to use in the future. You know, like I want something that's a little bit longer. I need something that's a little heavier and so on and so forth until you figure out what you really need. And when we come to like flies, flies can be very expensive because they're all most, for the most part, flies are hand tied. You know, they do have some machined ones, but any handmade product, as we all know, is a little more expensive. I recently went to a website called bigyfly.com. They're hand tied flies and they range anywhere from 50 to like 75 cents a piece, which is excellent. You go to a lot of local stores to get uh, hand tied flies. You're looking a buck 50 for $2 per fly, which can get pretty expensive whenever you're, you know, you get a little shop happy and you're just throwing them in a box and then you go up to the counter to check out and then they say, yes, that'll be $60 for this little tub of flies that you bought. So now, Chris, we, we went to the store, we, we bought our, our package deal, we got a rod, we got a reel, and we have our fly line on the, the rod. Now talk to a little bit what it takes to set that rod up to get ready to take it to the stream. So obviously with the fly rod, we're not just pulling it out of the package and going to the stream. So there's a little bit more work involved in getting that rod ready. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So most rods come apart in pieces. So most come in two pieces or four-piece rod sets. So you would get your rod out, put them together, and line your eyelets up where your where your fly line is going to come out. And you want to make sure your eyelets are, are straight because if they're not, that line's not going to sail out of those eyelets as you're casting. And you'll realize that as soon as you start casting. You'll say something's wrong, something's getting hung up somewhere, it's not coming out as smooth as it should be. And you'll just feel that in that fly line because they're so sensitive. So you'll run your your fly line, which is the colored line that you can see whenever you, know, you see a guy fishing. It's usually like a brighter color, like maybe an off green or like a light pink or even white. <clears throat> you'll run that straight up through the eyelets. And then after you have that fly line strung, you'll want to tie a leader on, which is usually a clear or a brown fly line. With, I mean, like with any spinning rod, that's what you're using basically. is like just regular fishing line. They just happen to call it leader. <clears throat> so I, I usually put on like 6X or a 5X, and then you want to taper that down to something smaller. So... At the end of my fly line, I'm tying on maybe six to seven feet, probably six, five, six feet of leader, probably 5X leader. So it's a little heavier. After I tie that on, I'm tying on maybe 3X, probably two to three feet of 3X fishing line on the end of that. So I'm tapering it down in sizes as I get down to my fly. So it's smaller and less noticeable as you go from the fly line the whole way down to the fly itself. You're going to want to learn knots. Knots is a very big thing in fly fishing. And each each guy has their own knot as far as this is the knot I use and they will not, they will not break from that knot. 
And that's not a bad thing. If they if they believe in it, if they think it's a solid knot, then by all means, use whatever knot you want to use. Most people would use a nail knot when you're tying your fly line to your leader. But they have little tools that you can get to help you tie a nail knot. And, you know, you can always look stuff up and, and see stuff online on how to tie that. But that helps cinch down that heavy fly line to the leader itself. Or just ask somebody to help you out. You know, the angler community is, is pretty pretty tight. You know, everybody's always learning things. And I'm sure, you know, you can find anybody to help help you do that. Whenever I tie my leader on to my tippet, which is your your final the final line at the end of the leader. <clears throat> so you that's like the three X. You have to tie those together. I use a knot called a human knot. And again, it's kind of hard to explain it you know, over the radio. Uh, but get out there, buy some, buy, buy a cheap book on knots. You know, it's not like you need an expensive book on knots or, or go to YouTube, look it up, ask a friend, sit down, watch somebody else tie it, then you tie it and have them show you again. Just keep practicing your knots. A unit knot is a very small knot. But it keeps your leader very tight and cinched down onto your leader. And then we go down even further. Now we're going from our leader to our fly itself. Now, I used to use a clinch knot, which is just through the, the eyelet. You wrap it like five or six times, and you bring it back through itself, and then cinch it down. It clinches right down on itself. And I used to use that. It was... Very simple, fast knot that you can learn very easily. It's great for beginners. Uh, but recently I started using a completely different knot called the Davy knot. And this is a very easy knot as well, but you know, it's not easy unless you're out there practicing it. And you want to be able to do it well because you're going to be standing out in the middle of the creek. You might be shivering. And if the fish are feeding around you, you're going to panic. And you want to get that, that line in the water as soon as possible because you you just want to catch some of those fish. So knowing these knots and being able just to put them on and be confident that they're going to hold is a really big deal. Wow, that's some great information there, Chris. And let's take a quick break and thank our partners over at Cobra Archery. I've been getting a lot of questions about my archery setup and what release I'm using. And that is the brand new Cobra Archery Harvester release. Uh, the one thing that I talked about plenty of times already is that patented pending uh, unified trigger system uh, that's on there that you're able to create with whichever length, angle, or rotation for that thumb trigger that you need. But also you have the ability to go ahead and take that third finger uh, adjustment on, off as well to make it a two finger release. I love the weight. I love the durability. Uh, it just feels extremely comfortable in my hand. Um, and, uh, so that's the release I'm using. And I think you should definitely, if you're using a thumb trigger release, definitely check this one out. It's innovative, uh, great people over at Cobra Archery. So check them out over at irondecoy.com. Now, can you explain the different styles of fishing? We, we always hear wet flies, dry fly, and nymphing. Can you explain those a little bit and different ways you can actually fly fish? Yeah. Um, so the dry fly is probably the most common, and that's probably the most common type used. And in my opinion, it's the most exciting 
Uh, again, if you if you look up fly fishing or you look up you know, a trout strike, it's going to be a fly sitting right on top of the water, and those fish are just coming up. Some of them even come out of the water whenever they hit one of those dry flies, and there's just nothing more exciting than watching your fly just drift right down the creek nice and slow, and all of a sudden it just disappears after a trout just smashed it and sucked it under the water. But they're designed to float on top of the water and simulate an insect, an insect landing on, on the water and just floating down the creek. Whether it's resting or it had just died, that's what it's intended to uh, simulate. Fish swimming below the water, they'll just spot it. And if it's appealing, they'll zip up and smash that bug all day long. It's Like I said, it's just great to watch. So there's other dry flies that you can use. And what I mean by that is you can match the hatch that's going on. That's what my dad always said, match the hatch. But when you get down on the creek, you know, look around. See what's floating on the water. See if there's anything flying in the air around you. There's bugs all over, and that's what—that's the goal. We want to simulate what's flying through the air. That's what these trout are feeding on, and that's again, that's part of the excitement of it. Is what does that look like? Trying, trying to grab one, looking in your box to see if you have anything that looks like that. So there's there's matching the hatch, which is like I said, finding something that looks like that fly that's flying through the air or landing on the water. And there's also attractor dry flies, which are not intended to look exactly like an insect or one that's out there right now. They're more of an attractor, so they use bright colors and you know, they'll have some shiny materials on it, maybe like a gold ribbon wrapped around their body as an attractant for these trout and they'll get a little more excited and start hammering those. But again, it goes back to what's what's even gonna work because you just you really don't know. <clears throat> you can always have an idea, like I said, you, you look to see what they're feeding on and if something's not working then change it up and, and see if see if this one works a little bit better. So wet flies was the other one. And wet flies are subsurface, so just below the top of the water. And I would include streamers and, and nymphs, if you've heard of nymph fishing, in this group as well. These flies have, have no hackle on them. So when, when you look at a dry fly, it, has, it looks kind of fluffy around the, the eyelet of the eye. Now that hackle helps out fly stay up on top of the water so they won't have any of that on them they look a little bit more wispy a little more streamlined so they can get under the water and swim through the water a little bit easier um well it's not as exciting as dry flies wet flies but it's very successful done correctly because trout feed 80 percent of their life underwater and only about 20 percent on top so if you want to be successful, dry flies is not the only way to, to fish for trout. A nymph fly simulates an insect through its life cycle and stages. The trick of using like nymphs is a technique 
just letting it bob along the bottom of the creek. So you want it to sink fast and get down so those trout can see it right away. Most like to use a strike indicator on top of the water when, when nymph fishing. It's almost like a bobber, but with some variations, some, some just use like these bright little small bobbers or a small piece of foam tied onto their line or even a piece of yarn on their line to keep that fly line light. <clears throat> because it's, it's a little bit more difficult to, to feel that whenever they strike it because they'll just suck it in and keep swimming. They won't, they won't really yank on it or try and kill it all the time. Uh, as far as streamers, these are a lot bigger uh, as far as flies. And these are intended to like mimic other water creatures like minnows, beaches, and, and a few others. But a streamer is not something you dead float. Like, you're not just letting it bounce off the bottom of the creek. You want it to, to swim. So you want to agitate that fly by manipulating the line a little bit in small bursts. You know, between long and short, that's why you, it's called a streamer because when you throw it, you're, you're stripping it through that water. It's streaming right down through the creek. And you're going to move it and bounce it to try and catch that attention of, of the trout until they, they finally decide to smash it, which I've had, I, I've had a lot of success with streamers. Um, and when you pick the right one, there's, there's nothing like it. Because if, if you find something that they're feeding on and that they're really enjoying, you can throw out the same streamer hundred times and you're catching, you know, 90 fish. I've had flies fall apart because they've just been hit so many times. I'll pull it out and it's, it's coming unraveled because so many trout have hit it. That's good stuff. And I mean, I'm, as you were explaining all that information, I'm writing down all, all this information on a piece of paper and I'm like, okay, this is all great stuff. And, you know, <laughs> one of the questions, Chris, that I had, um, that I, I wanted to ask you was, you know, how do you know which method, uh, will work best in the stream that you're at? And I guess, you know, you could throw that back to the match to hatch. Would you kind of agree on that? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like trying to figure out what you're using again i go back to the mystery of it that's all part of the fun for me at least that there's more to do than just putting a, like i don't have a problem with spinning rods at all but there's more to do than just well here's a worm i put it on a hook and there's a bobber and i throw out and i just sit down right you're actually being active you're you're out there look around like see what's around you see if there's anything flying in the air you'll be able to see if they're feeding on top of the water. If they're feeding on top of the water, your best bet is to use a dry fly. Like, even if it doesn't look exactly like it, throw a dry fly. If you don't have something that looks exactly like it, throw a dry fly. That's great because, because that was that, that's what I was going to just ask you. Like, for me, you know, that's never gone fly fishing. When I get to the water and I'm ready to tie that first fly on there and I don't notice fish coming up eating off the top of the water, I should then go to a wet fly, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Good. because like I said, 80% of our life, they're, they're feeding underwater. And like I said, it is very exciting 
whenever you're catching fish on dry flies. Like there's nothing like it. But catching them under under the water is just as exciting uh, a lot of times because they'll hit that fly really hard under the water to try and kill it sometimes, especially if it's a streamer or something. But again, looking around to see what's flying through the air, even along creek beds, grab a rock, lift it up, look underneath of it. You'll see smaller worms. You'll see smaller bugs. You might see some crayfish. Whatever you see under there, grab it, keep it in your hand, open your fly box, and see what you got. See anything in there that looks like that wet fly and, and try and simulate as best as you can to to that particular bug. That's freaking awesome, man. That I mean, that just gets me <laughs> fired up. Like, I'm, I want to get out there tomorrow. Um, yeah, because I kind of related. I kind of related to like scouting. You know, yeah. like you're you're going out there. You you need to figure out what is out there instead of just I'm just going to go. Right, right. You're not going to have as much success. And for the last break of the day, let's thank our partners over at Stokerize Stabilizers. I'm using the brand new M1 Hunter 14. This micro diameter stabilizer is perfect for eliminating vibration. I've personally noticed the benefits of this specific stabilizer since I shot this with, uh, since I shoot this with my tight spot quiver on. My bow feels perfectly balanced at full draw, and again, zero vibration. Proudly made in the USA. Check out the new M1 series over at Stokerized.com. That's awesome. Well, I know like even our one, like my one buddy that who finished my mount, uh, Justin, he's, he goes out fishing every day. I mean, he's lives right, legit lives right across the street from Penn's Creek. Um, so he's out there every single day, uh, catching some, some awesome fish and doing all types of stuff. And, you know, I think this is really, really good and helpful. Um, now, you know, I love the, kind of getting into, you know, picking which flies, the right fly, you know, could you talk a little bit too about the different styles of casting? Cause I know you talked about that too earlier, like where, how your dad was helping you out, like about the technique of side of things, you know, what other than the technique, what are the different styles of casting? Uh, I feel like everyone starts out learning the basic styles, you know, a different way. And eventually people kind of develop their own way of casting, but you know, I primarily I, I use just three simple styles, um, which you know, first one's just a basic smooth cast, and this goes back to you know hitting those 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 buckets, those bucket lids as, as best as I as I can, and that's just again, it, it's really hard to explain over the phone, but. A smooth cast, like a, a, using your arm as the engine and your wrist as the steering wheel. So you want to point point where you want to go with that wrist. If you're just using arm and you're just trying to muscle that thing the whole time, you're going to end up having a whip. And if you hear a crack and you're going to, especially if you know you haven't been doing it a long time, I still i i crack I'll crack one every now and again, and I'm like okay, back to the basics, what I do wrong. You know, I'm using too much of my arm and not enough of my wrist. So that basic smooth cast, just getting it out there, straight out in front of you, nice and slow, is, is definitely something that you'll, you'll learn first. But after that, 
um, you know, and you're done throwing at targets. Uh, the next one that you probably want to know would be a roll cast. Now, roll cast <clears throat> is utilized whenever it's too windy. So, when you're bringing your line up out of the water and you go to cast it back upstream and it's too windy, you're going to throw it and it's going to come raveling back at you. And it can get very frustrating because you'll get, you'll get wind knocked, your line will get tangled, it'll land right next to you even though you threw it upstream because the wind just pushed it. And there's no need to get frustrated about it if you know a roll cast. Now that's just simply bringing the line back toward you. So you'll bring the tip of your rod straight up toward you. And as soon as that line comes past your rod, over your shoulder, you want to push with your wrist, just your wrist, straight down towards the water and point that tip of that rod wherever you want that line to go. And this will create a, a roll effect on the line and flip that fly out right at the very end. Kind of like uh, if you take a, a long rope and you're setting it out, or if you, you know, you're setting it out and you grab it and you just kind of whip it with your wrist and you see that little, that little wave that it creates the whole way down to the end of the rope. That's basically what you're doing with the fly line. And it keeps it low to the water and out of the wind so you're not catching all those wind knocks and you don't even have to deal with it. You know, you're just keeping it low and streamlined right across the water and it doesn't even get a chance to get caught up by the wind. I think another really good one, especially with like wet flies and streamers and nymphs, is just using the current. So like a current cast is whenever your fly is dead floating, you know, and it drifts down below you, past you, it's made it a little turn and your, your fly line is completely extended straight, just bring it towards you, flip it back upstream, like simple as that. Because you like don't need you don't need to have a bunch of line out all the time, depending on what fly you're using, and you don't need to be whipping it over your head constantly. You can just let that current take it. Whenever it's done, you didn't catch nothing. Just whip it right back up steam, stream. Just use your wrist and just put it to wherever you want it, right up the stream. You don't need any fancy tricks or nothing. You just Straight up and over. And I know as, as a beginner that the nymphing fishing is, is really simple for someone starting out. And I know that's where I'm most comfortable is with the nymph fishing just because it kind of gets you to learn the basics. And you can kind of maneuver that, that small amount of line a lot easier than trying to really do that, that big cast over your shoulder, when, especially when you're first starting out. Oh yeah, like nymph fishing. Like I said earlier, <clears throat> you know that that's simulating an emerger. So that that fly, the nymph, is just bouncing along the rocks on the bottom, like it was just hatched, and it's just working its way down through the creek before it comes up and hatches out of the water. So you're just kind of keeping your rod tip high whenever you're doing that. You don't, like you said, Dimitri. You don't need a bunch of line out. You're just bouncing it right along the creek. 
it's very simple. It's like you said, it's you know, very easy to cast because you don't need a bunch of line on. You know, you can just be a few feet. If you want to go further, by all means, go a little bit further. If you see a dark spot, think it might be a trout. Go for it. See if see if it's a trout. Nothing. What's the worst that's going to happen? Well, Chris, so we're fishing. We we get a fish. We set the hook. Now we're about to fight the fish and reel it in. And I know fly fishing is a lot different than your normal spin caster where you're just reeling that line in. Can you explain a little bit of how you fight a fish and try to get it into your net? <clears throat> yeah, like um, sensitivity with a fly rod is much more intense. Uh, you need to have, like, like you said, setting the hook Setting the hook is even different compared to like bass fishing. You know, you see those guys setting the hook on bass fishing and they're almost falling up the boat because they're pulling back so hard that they're stumbling backwards trying to set that hook to making sure that they don't just spit it out. So with a fly rod, if my wrist is down and my arm's at 90 degrees, all the more I'm doing to set that hook is bringing my, my wrist straight up vertical. And on that hook is set. It doesn't need to go that far. You'll be able to feel that fish on there because the tip of that is so sensitive. You'll be able to feel everything. When you're nymph fishing, you can feel that fly bouncing off rocks. When you set that hook, that's all more you need to go. You need to go from 90 to vertical, and that fly is definitely set. Now, keeping your line tight is definitely a key. So. With depending, you know, if you're left-handed or right-handed, it's obviously going to be different. But I'm right-handed, so if I hook up and I set that hook, I'm using my left hand to pull the line that the fish is on towards me. So I'm not pulling any more out of the reel, but I'm keeping that line tight as it's coming around because you're not going to just yank this fish in. Again, I'll go back to bass fishing because that's just something a lot of people have seen and, and know about. You hook up on a bass, they're setting that hook and they're reeling that thing in right away and it's coming right into the boat. Maybe, I mean, I don't even know how long, like 10 seconds is like the longest I've seen somebody fight a bass because they're just getting it in as quick as possible. It is going to take some time with a trout. You want to set that hook, keep the line tight in your non-fly rod hand. <clears throat> if it swims away, let it swim. But keep that line tight because <clears throat> you don't want to break the tip of your rod. Like I said, the sensitivity is a lot different in these rods compared to just a, you know, a, a bass rod. So as you're bringing it in and it starts settling down, keep that line tight. Pinch that line off with your hand and reel in that slack that you pulled <clears throat> because you don't want to have all that line floating around your legs and it gets tangled. And, and again, this is just going to come with time and practice. You know, you can, you can do this as well. Like I said, whenever you're throwing at those buckets, have somebody stand out there, grab your line. Have someone grab that, the tip of that line and pretend you're reeling them in. And you can practice pulling that line out keeping it tight and then reeling in that slack and if that if that person wants to 
to take off a little bit, to, to simulate a fish running away from you, let it go. Like, let it take that line, but keep it tight. It starts swimming towards you, pull that line through and keep it tight. Constantly keep it tight. A lot of people like to keep their arm high. That helps. Um, I know I did it a little bit too much. Sometimes I would start losing my balance if I kept my, my rod too high. It's good initially just to keep that fish tight. You know, if it's swimming towards you too fast that you can't get enough slack out, just lift that tip of that rod straight up in the air and that'll help you keep that line tight so it doesn't uh, spit the hook or, or break the line or anything like that. Just bring it in slow. And again, this is going to take practice. Are you going to catch it the first time that one hits? Maybe. Are you going to lose a couple? Probably. Because everybody does. You know, it just it just takes time. And that's, that's why they call it fishing and they don't call it catching. And I think that's the thing I love about fly fishing and really draws me to it is it doesn't take a big fish for it to be a battle every time that you're trying to catch something when you're trout fishing because you're you, whether it's an eight inch fish or it's a 20 inch trout you're really letting that line and seeing the tip bend and, and pulling a little bit letting it swim a little bit so it makes every battle seem like you're catching a monster fish Oh yeah, it's so it's so much more enjoyable. At least to me, it's so much more enjoyable. Like just seeing that fish hit. Like I don't care if it's five inches or fifteen. Like it's still exciting. It still feels like there's a little bulldog at the end of my line trying to dig into the gravel into the creek trying to get away from me. Now, Chris, if you had to give some of our listeners some tips and tricks for a beginner to enhance his skills. You talked a little bit about the bucket and, and reeling in. Is there any little nitty-gritty things that maybe you can suggest that, that would help them uh, get over maybe that beginner level? Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure I probably hit on a lot of things already like while we've had our discussion. But just to go back to them a little bit, you know, you don't need the most expensive gear to get started or even to practice. You don't even need to be in the crick. Go out, see if a friend that's into it has an extra rod you can use. See if they let you borrow you know, their rod, especially if you're just out practicing. You're not going to break a rod just trying to cast. So, you know, ask a friend, see if you can use their fly, fly rod, see if they can show you some stuff. You know, I, I know I'd be willing to, to show anybody you know, anything they wanted to know, but Practicing and taking your time and being patient is, is a really big deal whenever it comes to fly fishing. Um, another thing when you're casting is holding your rod appropriately. And this goes back to something I learned from Joe Humphreys, who I had mentioned previously, is when you grab your rod, there's cork above your reel. And that's where you're holding your fly rod. So whenever you grab it, pretend like you're, you're grabbing it with your thumb straight up in the air. You want to grab, grip that cork and keep your line or keep your thumb vertical with the rod. So straight up that cork. And every time you cast, you want to keep that thumb on top of that cork pointed in the direction you want to cast. This really helped me out. 
because that, that rod's not rotating in your wrist. It helps keep your wrist straight and pointed in the direction that you want your line to go. And that's a really big difference as far as throwing very accurately, especially if you got stuff feeding on top of the water and you see a trout feeding and you can see that little ripple where it's just fed off the top of the water, there's going to be a trout there and you want to throw that dry fly right on that spot. And this is where it'll come in handy is whenever you're trying to hit that one spot. I know I've seen it and I'll throw that fly, fly right on top of where that ripple was and no sooner does it land and then boom, it smashes it right away because it's still sitting right there waiting to feed, waiting for the next thing to come down the creek. Um, learn your knots. Knots is a huge thing. Practice, you know, you can always practice on something a little heavier. So get some paracord or just something heavier that you can see and manipulate a little bit easier and try with that first, learning your knots. Figure out knots you want to use and just practice those. You don't need a bunch of fancy stuff. Just use the ones that work best for you and that you are going to remember. And then practice them and practice them and practice them. Uh, talk to local anglers too. See what's best to use. <clears throat> you know, if, if you're in a new place and you don't know what normally hatches, or, you know, go talk to a local shop. A lot of local fly shops will tell you exactly what to use. Or, you know, don't even bother getting this because you're not going to catch anything around here. Use these five if you're starting out. And you're gonna catch trout. Like they'll they'll tell you they're not gonna they're not gonna beat around the bush. They'll just tell you this is what's gonna work. This is what you need to use. And a lot of times that's just like the best way to <clears throat> to to learn what's out there and where where you're fishing at. Uh, always be willing to learn. I know my dad is a big believer in it. I see him do it constantly. We'll be on the creek. There'll be a younger kid there struggling to, to fish, to be fly fishing, and he'll go over, talk to him a little bit, show him a few things, maybe even give him a few flies. And it just always makes me feel good because, you know, I like I said, I got kind of spoiled with that. You know, he, he was always there for me, showing me what to do. And, you know, not everybody has that. And he's trying to be out there doing that for other people. That's great <clears> stuff. Um, I, I, Chris, that's awesome. Just because I think back to, you know, even when I hear my dad talk about stuff and uh, see him even tell my, my younger brother just some different things, certain tips and tricks. And I, you know, think back hindsight 2020 of how I wish I would have maybe done something different or, uh, you know, whether it be building that relationship differently and, and getting out there more or hunting and seeing that, uh, you know, that's something where you've had that opportunity with not only your dad, but, you know, most of your family that are fishermen. So, uh, that's, that's amazing stuff, uh, that, that you're able to relate to all that. Now, one question that, you know, you kind of took what I loved about that. You hit a bunch of things w with that last question, some tips and tricks for the beginners, some common mistakes to try to avoid. Um, now, what would you say is your favorite species of trout to fish here in, P in PA? I like brown trout only because they seem to fight a little bit more than, than the others. 
Now, I mean, I've caught bigger fish that, that fight just as much, but it seems like no matter how big a brown trout is, they are like little bulldogs digging into the gravel trying to get away no matter what. So the, the fight is always always a little bit stronger. Um, the one I probably least like is, is a, uh, a Palomino, which is just a, it's a golden rainbow trout. And the only reason I don't like Palominos, and I'm sure you guys know just as well, it's like a big target sitting out there in the water. And you see nothing else but this big yellow submarine sitting there. And nothing else matters. I can see that fish perfectly, and that's the one I'm going to get. And you spend hours trying to get this fish when everybody else has also been trying to get this fish. And it's seen a thousand different lures, a thousand different flies. And the chances of you catching it are very slim, but still you try and catch it. No, I mean, PA has lake trout as well. Uh, I haven't really gone out for lake trout, like as far as like going to like Erie and up towards the Great Lakes. So I, that's something that I'd like to do at some point, just to, to get up there and, and try something different at some point. That's awesome. Anybody, yeah, any, then, anybody look, that's new to learning, I mean, this is the, the podcast to listen to just because, uh, you know, you're, you've been doing it for many years. And, uh, I think for me trying to learn and I find it very informative. Well, like yeah. Yeah. That's how I was saying like, it's like, always willing to learn. Like my dad learns stuff all the time and he shows me, yeah. so they'll, they'll show me stuff or I'll, I'll find something and be like, you know, try this new nut. Like I, I said, I use the baby nut now. He just learned that this winter right. and like I started using it. And so there's always more things to learn. There's always new stuff. Right. And that's what this whole, I mean, I mean, Dimitri, you could even elaborate on this. This is what our aunt lure up is about, you know, getting that information out there, teaching things just because of where, what our back background is. We love to learn. We love to get that information out and kind of help individuals. So, I mean, this was, you know, not only were you helping me, and, but hopefully another listener out there, just because I think this is exactly what we're driven to do is trying to get this information out there. I, I just think to about archery, you know, I know we all, I've mentioned John Dudley and knock on, I mean, he puts out free content out for individuals to learn, uh, the archery, the yeah, best I've way they can. A lot of his, yeah. I've been watching a lot of his stuff lately, actually. Yep. And I mean, that's something where, I mean, and, I mean, obviously he has his own brand, he has his own thing and, and good for him and he could do that. But at the same time, I mean, could you imagine if he did not share all that information of trying to be an, a better archer? I mean, he's, it's, it's just unbelievable for what he's, what he has done, what he's continuing to do uh, for the archery community. Um, you know, and I, I just think uh, this is just really good stuff. If we could give back to individuals that want to get into fly fishing, uh, you know, and I think right now this is the most important time and people with what's going on in this world if, to try to, like we talked about in the first 10 minutes is trying to disconnect kind of social distance yeah. of how can we connect again with either our, our family, you know, with yourself to get outdoors and clear your mind and, you know, relieve stress. And I'm sure you build a little bit of stress when you get out there and you're not catching fish and stuff. But at the same time, if you could just enjoy the moment, uh, I think it's something that that could be really helpful for people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've gone out and I've caught maybe like two fish all day and it's still, it's, it's better than, 
than anything else. I mean, like I said, Dimitri's been up there. I think the last time we went up, we saw like a huge herd of elk, maybe a mile from our camp, and just pulling over and watching some elk mill around for a little bit, going up to the camp, throwing in the creek. I've been in the creek right next to our camp, and elk have crossed over, like right maybe 100 yards from me. And just, it's, it's really nice up there. And like you said, just connecting away, getting away, and just being out in nature is really where it's at. Awesome. All right, Chris. Well, uh, that wraps up our episode and uh, thank you again for coming on. And, you know, if people are interested to, to reaching out, I know for, you know, asking you questions, where could people uh, get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can get a hold of me on Instagram. It's min uh, underscore bucket. And yeah, I have, I have a couple of fishing stuff. I have some fishing stuff on there, but uh, you know, you can get a hold of me through there and, and uh, I'll get back to you as soon as, uh, as soon as I can. You can just DM me on there. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, Antler up. And staying safe out there. And again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for the support. Those of you that have bought our hats, check us out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. And until next time, Antler up. <laughs>